episode four, how to become a master of performing under pressure. I'm Colin. Natalie is here with me. And real quick, we just want to recap what we have done so far through these first three episodes and what we're leading you into for episode four. So episode one, really just, again, go back if you haven't listened to this already. If this is your first episode, it might might make sense to go back and do these in order. Episode one, we really defined what pressure is. We talked about internal pressure, external pressure, more like a surface level for everything. Episode two, we dove in real deep into internal pressure. And we had a bunch of student athletes providing responses to questions that we had put out as part of a survey to get data for this series. Episode three was external pressure. And we spent Natalie and I a bunch of time on social media because that is a huge external pressure. So definitely check out that episode if that's something that interests you. And now in episode four, we're talking about another type of external pressure. And we're talking specifically about people who create external pressure. And even more specifically, we are talking about our favorite coaches in the world. So (laughs) we have a lot to get to in this episode. I had a lot of coaches provide some great feedback from the surveys that we sent out. And we're going to get all into that in just a second. But before we do, Natalie, I know you have some topics you want to discuss really quickly when it comes to external pressure. Yes, absolutely. So Soon we're going to dive into specific coach responses. And I think it's kind of worth noting that there, I, as an athlete have had many different coaches, many different coaching styles, and therefore many different ways that pressure has been applied. And I really don't think that there's one right or wrong way to apply pressure. And I think at the end of the day, it depends on the athlete. It depends on the environment. And sometimes I like pressure one way, one day, and I like it another way, another day. And that's constantly changing depending on my mood or what's motivating me that day. So I think as we go into this conversation, it's important to note that there's no right and there's no wrong. These are all just really different strategies and insights that we've gathered from coaches that have been super valuable to us. And another thing that I want to bring up is it's kind of debated like what the role that a coach has in creating pressure for their athletes. So should a coach have a big role in creating that pressure? Do they have enough pressure on their own being student athletes or do coaches need to give that extra push to make sure they're performing in situations where they're required to? And it's a hard question to answer. I think I go back and forth on this and Colin and I have talked about this a little bit. I think ultimately we both agree that pressure is a good thing. That's kind of what we're trying to get across throughout this entire series, but how it's applied and how it's done can definitely vary. So something to kind of keep in the back of your mind, do you think that coaches are necessary to create pressure? Do you think there's already too many external pressures, like the ones we talked about last episode that coaches can kind of leave everyone alone and just let them do their thing? Or do you think that this is necessary? So just something interesting to kind of, keep in your head as you're listening. Yeah. And I think what we can do, Natalie, is at the end, once we get through these coaches responses, let's give our opinion on that last point. Cause at least I have something to say to it. If you want to add something as well, but I think that might be a good way to wrap everything up. If, if you're yeah. cool with that. Totally. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to dive then into 
questions or excuse me, responses from our coaches who I'm again, so thankful and appreciative and, and grateful for the time. This is, <laughs> this is their downtime. We're doing this during the summer. These episodes aren't going to come out for, you know, at least a month or two after, but right now is their downtime. They've taken time to help the listeners out. I mean, they're helping me and Natalie out tremendously so we can put this together, but really this is for you, the listener. So I hope this is good for you. And what we're going to do is first, I'm going to read the five questions that we, so this this is going to be similar, but it's going to be a little bit different than we did for episode two, because (laughs) you're seeing the technological divide or differences (laughs) between uh, adults who are a little bit older and somebody who is around Natalie's age that is very in tune with technology. All of our responses from coaches came via email. And so what we're going to do is I will read the five questions off beforehand. So you know what those questions were. And then I picked they're all great answers. And I, I'll say this now, I'll repeat it at the end. I have a Google link that is going to be in the show notes with the full responses from all the coaches. It's a shareable link. So you can access all of the information from all the coaches by clicking on that link. On this episode, we're just going to share one from each coach. We have six coaches to get through. I'll read you the five questions. We'll go through all six coaches, one each, and then we'll wrap it up at that point. All right. Five questions. Fire them off real quick. First question. How do you create pressure for your athletes on a daily basis? Two, do you think it's necessary to create pressure for your athletes? Three, do you ever imitate high pressure situations, rain delays, goal down, a player down, etc. during practice time? Four, how can you tell when an athlete does well under pressure? And five, what is your biggest advice for athletes who are trying to become a master of playing under pressure, performing under pressure, however you want to say it. Our first coach is Corey Sinfraco. Corey is my former math teacher. I've told Natalie about her before. Probably the smartest person I've ever met. She made me like math when I hated math. So if that tells you something right there. But Corey is also a softball and a volleyball coach at the high school level. She has been as far back as when I was in high school and continues to this day. And the question that I picked from Corey is, how do you create pressure for your athletes on a daily basis? And this is the response that she had. I try to simulate game slash pressure situations in practice. For instance, in softball, you start with skill work fundamentals, mechanics of fielding, throwing the ball until that part is more muscle memory than pressure. You progress to the mental part of defense. Imagine runners on various bases with various outs, different innings, score scenarios. Now, not only must players execute the physical mechanics, they must know, they must know where the smart play is until that part is almost automatic. But then finally, we must practice with the pressure of quote unquote live base runners, opposing players. Players must know where to go with the ball and execute the skill, but at game speed, that's a key word here, with the distraction of other runners and seeing the runner that represents their desired out. So I guess I try to create pressure by making parts of practice game like in the hopes that games will start to feel less pressured and more practice like reducing the anxiety 
In volleyball, we practice two to four points down with only two or three points to end the game. And we also practice being two to four points ahead in the same situation, which can even be more pressure in a game, trying not to blow it. <laughs> or we practice being tied at a game point. In both sports, we sometimes attach con consequence or reward to the situation to add to the pressure. So, Corey, she's awesome. <laughs> so much good stuff in there. <laughs> Here's what sticks out to me, Natalie. Yeah. All of what she said right there is trying to create pressure by making parts of practice game-like in the hope that the games will start to feel less pressured and more practice-like, reducing the anxiety. I think that is exactly what we've been trying to say in the most concise way right there. We're trying to flip the script. Like you're in practice, you're going through the motions, you're feeling good. And then you get into a pressure situation and you shut down. Why does that happen? And she's saying, the more we put them in those pressure situations in practice, the more they can act like they're going through the motions. It's not the same thing per se, but it's, it's along those lines of that concept. Right. And something that my team says all the time in practice is how can we make this game? Like we're doing a drill where yeah. you might not be given that external pressure by your coaches. It might be a skill drill. It might be a hitting drill, but how can you make it game? Like, can you do it at quicker speed? Can you like, when you make a mistake, you're not taking your time to get the ball. You're still playing game. Like, and I think something I've worked on over summer training is, the past two summers, it's hard to train alone for sure. And I found myself training and then coming to practices and games and being like, why am I not seeing all the hours that I'm putting in with my training? Like, why is that not translating onto the field during practice and game time? And it's because I was not playing at that game speed. And I think as important as this is for pressure, it's also important to becoming the athlete that you want to become mechanically being able to do these things at speed, being able to do them when they're not going to go right every time. And this actually is super funny because it reminds me of at Davidson, they don't call tests tests because they worry that the word test <laughs> anxiety. So instead they're called reviews. So like, for example, I would have a review at the end of the semester instead of a final or a test. And their hope is that, you know, that is going to relieve our anxiety. But now when I hear the word test or review, I get anxious for both. So part of this is a fine line too. like, how do you make it so the games are less anxiety provoking, but also not that you're dreading going to practice every day because they're also now provoking anxiety. So it is a really fine line, but great intentions. And I think it really does work in practice. Yeah, I would be inclined to think that it does work. And here's why. So I might just be old, but <laughs> I cannot remember having as much intention behind putting ourselves in pressure situations in practice. Like the, the, the most game-like type situations we ever got, we would look forward to, I mean, it's snowing in April in central New York where, where I grew up. So I mean, you're just dying to get on onto the field by that point. And we would look forward to these scrimmages with a private school close by. But I, you know, every once in a while, I think maybe we did certain scenarios, but again, I don't know if the intention was there to say like, okay, 
this is supposed to prepare you for like the moment of the season. And I could point to particular moments in both my junior year and my senior year of high school playing baseball. I can't really in college or any of the other years for whatever reason, but those two years stick out pretty vividly in the sense that we crumbled under pressure. We won a sectional championship my junior year and we were one out one strike two times, two times in the game from going to the final four in States. And we ended up losing like at two o'clock in the morning out in Binghamton, New York. It was the most miserable ride home. And then my senior year, when we were supposed to have more talent coming back, we ended up losing pretty early after we had gotten a lead late in the game and everyone got all pumped up and we kind of just, you know, lost our focus, you know, sort of speak. And so I, I think it's like, really interesting that I can't remember, you know, practicing with that purpose as much. And again, some of it is probably because I'm older and I can't remember, you know, details like that, but to hear you talk about it in such a, uh, a refined way right now. And especially with the challenges that COVID presented, um, you know, it's, it's interesting that it seems like it's much more of a conscious effort being made by coaches. And then as a result of that, by the athletes too. This is something that I really don't think I was introduced to until college. I mean, I think part of it was emulated in high school, but not consistently. Like in high school, you would have those game scrimmages and things like that, but it was never kind of a consensus that no matter, even if the situation was not like pressure filled by the coaches, the players themselves were going to make it a pressure situation to push one another. And my philosophy is like the game should be the fun part. Like practice should be more stressful than the game because your position's on the line. You're thinking about how much are you going to play in the next game? How am I going to perform to get there? Like once you're out there in the game, you're out there and nothing's going to change. So you might as well give it your all. And that's the benefit of having practice like practicing with that mentality is that games can then be the fun part. Yeah. I think my last point to this for people who are listening to this and may not be into sports, but are trying to glean something from this, go back to your test example that you were talking about, Natalie, think about how many times in your life you've taken the time to properly prepare for a test. And then when you get to the test, it's easy, right? You just go through it and you're like, all right, I ace that. But when you don't take the time to do it and that test comes, you're like, crap, I have no idea. This is ridiculously hard. And it's like, that's, that's exactly what we're talking about in a completely different setting. Totally. A hundred percent. Yes. All right. Let's move on to our second coach and the next question associated. Jeff Springer is the softball head softball coach at Audrey Kell high school here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I've gotten a lot of opportunities to work with Jeff and his great team. So I appreciate Jeff providing insight as well. He answered the question. Do you think it's necessary to create pressure for your athletes with an exclamation point? He said, absolutely. He said, essentially what you just said, Natalie, practice should be harder than the game. Pressure either creates diamonds or bust pipes. <laughs> I thought that was a great line. <laughs> and as a coach, he, he went on to say, I need to know who I can count on when the game is on the line. There's another important aspect as to why practicing with pressure and the intention of it is important because as a coach, 
when you are trying to make those in-game situations. And sometimes it's got to be quick, you know, even in a game like softball or baseball, that's a little bit slower than a field hockey or a basketball. You have to know who you can rely on, who's put in that work, who did their studying and is ready for that test. That is the intention behind it. That's essentially what Jeff is saying right there, at least to me. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's interesting to think about, like I'm thinking about programs where maybe they aren't being pressured in practice. How do you then determine who's going to be able to perform in those pressure situations in the game? Like now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, how can a team be successful without creating that pressure in everyday practice scenarios? Like it just seems so crazy to me that I think even from the beginning of this podcast, like I used to see pressure as a privilege and I still do, but now I see pressure as being like kind of necessary. Like it's not only a privilege, but it's something you have to do and you have to be challenged by. And as a coach, it would be such a hard decision to say, who's going to be my starting 11 when I don't know how they're going to do or how they're going to perform mentally. So let me ask you a follow-up. Yes. What we just heard is a coach wanting to make an informed, confident decision about who to put into pressured situations. Right. As a player, have you been, you don't need to name other players, obviously, but have you been in situations where you know, whatever set up the person that is being asked to you know, take the lead or the people involved, are, are you aware as a player who can handle the pressure and who can't? Like, is that something that you can glean from the practice field and the situations that you're in? A hundred percent. And absolutely. And I think that's something I've always admired. And I'd be like, why do I admire this athlete or this upperclassman so much. And it's not always because they're making the most incredible plays. And it's not always because they're the ones scoring the goals, but because they're the ones who, when the coach is like, we need you, I'm counting on you right now. They always get it done. And it's interesting too, because something that is also brought up is like, Oh, they're just a practice player. Like they can't really do it in a game. Like people will say that about people with all sports and at all different levels. And, it's not that they're just good in practice. It's just that maybe they haven't become that master of performing under pressure yet. That is so necessary. That is just as important as having the skills and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I asked you that question is I have to imagine it plays a lot into your confidence and trust in your teammates and even in your coaching staff to say like, why did you put this person on the field with me if they can't get it done? Right. Like that's, that's gotta be thoughts that are going through your head. Totally. Yeah. And I think it is tricky because I know like when I'm on the field with my teammates, I know every single one of them can do it. It's just a matter of execution. I know they're capable. I've seen them all do it before. And I would put any of them out there if it was them like a life or death situation to protect me. But some people just thrive under the pressure. They don't only do well, they like they come alive. Like that's when they're at their peak is when they're feeling that pressure. Yeah. And this is not to single you out and to make make you feel bad about your team or anything. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of 
different moments with teams that I was on different moments with teams that I watched, like there, there just needs to be a recognition. And I think that was, that was the key point that Jeff was making there for us and the recognition, the confidence and the trust plays down from the coach's decision all the way to the on-field execution. Because if you can't trust your teammates to get it done, then that's, that's a huge disconnect. So I think another really great piece right there. Let's move on because we have a few more to get through here. Uh, Kelly Stahlhuth is a volleyball coach and she answered the question, what is your biggest advice for athletes who are trying to become a master of playing under pressure? She responded with my biggest advice for athletes who want to become a master of playing under pressure, play to win, go for it, run into the storm. This was all in caps. So that was me trying to give it some energy. (laughs) (laughs) She finished with saying as much as playing experience will help you on the, on your field court of competition, it will help you handle real life pressure, which is more crucial in our daily lives and she gives some examples how to handle being fired, not hired, how to handle a sick family member or partner, how to handle a big corporate boardroom meeting, how to handle life emergencies, etc. I picked this question, Natalie, because I think that was the genesis of my podcast creation three years ago was to say what we learn in athletics, the adversity we go through, the fun that we have, the championships we win, the championships we lose, all of those lessons help us in life after sport, which for pretty much everybody on this earth, if you are healthy and fortunate enough, is going to be a significantly longer time period than when you're playing a sport. It's really hard in the moment to see that. And we've talked about that. You know, you're, you've got a, a couple of years left and I know it's something that's already percolating in, in your head, but I think that is the biggest thing is to say pressure is going to help you in these life situations when you need to provide for your family, when you need to make a tough decision at work, whatever it is. And I don't think there's anything better to say about it than what Kelly said. Exactly. I, I think she nailed it. And I think it's so valuable and sports are not the only outlet to get these valuable life skills and sports are a super unique opportunity to do so. I think it really puts you in the fire and expects the most from you, but pressure in your everyday life, like you can run to the storm Literally, you can go on a run in the storm or you can run into the storm when you're doing laundry or doing the dishes or making dinner for your family. Like being able to become comfortable with pressure and embracing it opposed to seeing it as this super scary thing is something that is going to help you so much because at the end of the day, pressure is inevitable. Everyone is always going to feel pressure in some way, shape or form. Putting a bow on that question, we are moving on to my friend, Jen Brooks, who's a former coach and a current high school athletic director. Uh, Jen and Corey have already been podcast guests as well. So if you want to go back to listen to their episodes, do that as well. You just search their name and find it. But Jen answered the question, how can you tell when an athlete does well under pressure? And she responded by saying, by what they say, for instance, If you say, I want you to shoot the PK or draw up a play for the last shot of the game, how does that player respond? Do they say, no, I don't want this? Do they say, okay, I got this? What do they say? Also, look at their body language. Are they showing confidence? 
head held high, shaking their head up and down as though they can do this? Or are they biting on the uniform, hiding their face, looking at the floor, no eye contact? Again, Natalie, unsurprisingly, a great answer to the question. (laughs) What I took from this, though, is the next layer that I'm sure goes into this identification piece is to say, okay, so maybe there was someone on the team that you thought was ready to take that pressure moment. And they show some of those signs that Jen talked about to say, eh, not really, not ready. Some coaches might see that and say like, okay, I'm giving up on that kid. Yes. But the good coaches I think are going to say, okay, where's the gap? How can we fill it? How can we get you to this moment? I know you can do it. We need to get you there, whether it's confidence, whether it's skill, you know, whatever it is. So I think as Jen laid it out, the identification piece is beautiful. And what I just wanted to point out is by using that identification piece, I think you can identify next steps, especially for those athletes who maybe aren't quite ready yet, even if you thought they were. Exactly. And I think too, a lot of people, I think when they're asked if you can do this, I feel like a lot of people would be like, yeah, I got this because you want to please your coach. You want to please your team. But the body language piece is what I think is super interesting because people can say everything they want to say. I mean, I I'm sure that some athletes would be like, no, I don't want this, but a lot of times I think you can say that you want it, but how you're actually reacting, are your palms sweating? Is your heart being fast? Are you biting on your uniform saying, yes, I want this. That's a whole different meaning than if they say, yes, I want this. And their head is held high. So I do think I've always learned and something that was super interesting in my recruiting process is I had a coach who said, I recruited you just for the way you warmed up. I didn't even watch you play. I just watch you stand on the sideline with your team because I didn't start that game. It was like a random tournament. And I recruited you from the way you warmed up. I didn't even see you touch the ball. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, Are you crazy? <laughs> and he was like, it's all body language. And body language speaks more than any loud mouth or any bold leader. Like your body language is so telling. And I think under pressure, we've already talked about the way pressure can kind of physically manifest itself. And it's true. Like it takes a toll on your body. It really does. Yeah. That's, that's a great story. (laughs) I want you to be honest, Natalie. Have you ever been the person who had been offered the high pressure situation in a game situation and said, yes, but you didn't actually feel ready for it? 110%. (laughs) Like, like I have a moment sticking out my head. It was from high school and we needed five players to take a stroke at the end of the game. It's like a little, it doesn't really matter, but she was like, Natalie, I need you to do this. Can you do this? And I was like, yeah, I got it. And I had never practiced it in practice. She like randomly pulled me and asked me to do it. I was like, yeah, I can do it. And I literally thought I was going to (laughs) cry. Like I thought I was, I was beside myself. I turned to my best friend on the team. I was like, I can't do this. I don't know what she's doing. I don't know why she's putting this trust in me. And I did it. And that's when the like demons of doubt come in when you're like, I've never practiced this. I didn't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. And then you do it. And there you go. Like 
it solves itself. So I think too, even if you don't think you're a hundred percent ready for that pressure situation, do it yeah. because you're either going to get it, which is great. And you defy the odds and you shut that little demon in your head up or you don't, and you keep working towards it. And there's really no, no failure. The only like I, my wallpaper on my phone says, and it's my favorite quote ever is doubt kills more dreams and failure ever will. And you can fail under pressure and it can be, it can suck, but the doubt that you have when you're asked to be in those pressure situations can be even more harmful at the end of the day. I'm glad you told that story too, because I think it showcases that sometimes we don't, we, we just haven't gotten the opportunity, but that certainly doesn't mean that we can't do it. Right. So, yeah. you know, like you had said to the doubts and, and all of that, I think that's a, another variation to all of this is that, you know, sometimes you just don't get the opportunity, but then it pops up. Are you ready? Or are you not? Exactly. You'll find out pretty quickly. Yes. And that comes with the unpredictability of pressure. You can never prepare for your perfect pressure moment when the right. coach says you have to score this goal with 30 seconds left against this team. Like you never know how it's going to happen. So it's a daily practice of getting your head in the right space to, for when those moments come, you have the tools in your toolbox to tackle it. Yeah, exactly. All right. We're going to move on. I'm going to skip over Larissa for a second and I'm going to go to my buddy Roach, Chris Roach, former lacrosse coach. No offense, Roach, but Larissa is awesome. So we're going to finish with her. You are awesome too, but we're just, <laughs> we're just doing this. So Chris answered the question that said, do you think it's necessary to create pressure for your athletes? So I think this is a, a repeat from another coach, but we had six coaches, five questions. And he said that he thinks it's important to create pressure for athletes, but in doses at appropriate times. And he said, went on to say too much constant pressure being applied to athletes can cause unnecessary stress and anxiety so that they are not playing calm and relaxed. Players need to be able to have a clear head while playing so that they can make the best decision possible. Pressured situations certainly arise, especially at the end of the game. So it's important for players to be exposed to this during practice so that they can handle it when it counts during games. My biggest takeaway from Roach is the small doses the appropriate times. I think even at times in this podcast, because you and I get really excited and animated about what we're talking about, it can seem like we're saying pressure, 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 like all the time, <laughs> keep your foot on the pedal. Yes, It's certainly not what we're saying. And I think Roach's response there is a really great level set reminder to say it needs to be at the appropriate time and it needs to be in doses. It's a great reminder um, to you know, like Joe Torre used to say for the Yankees, take it small bites, one run at a time. Same thing with pressure, small doses, one day at a time. You're only going to get as good as you can get day after day. You just keep building on it and eventually you'll become that master of performing under pressure. But I, I, I saw this and I was like, I think sometimes people probably through this process have thought we're like pressure go all the time. And I just want to make it clear that that's, that's not how either one of us sees this. Yes, definitely not. Cause I think I would collapse if that was <laughs> how I approach my life. But I think the biggest takeaway for me from this is the difference between pressure before and in the preparation stage versus pressure in the pressure moment. So 
you can prep your athletes as much as they want with as much pressure as you want. But once you get to that actual pressure moment that counts, there's kind of a back seat that you have to take. There's really, you can't go out there and do it for them on the field. So you have to determine like, have I prepared them for this moment up to this point? And if I have it, there's not really any more preparation you can do right now as it's happening. So it's really, it's a balance. I really think it is. All right. We're moving on to our final response from our coach, Larissa Anderson, again, former podcast guest head coach, university of Mizzou softball team. Larissa is the master at all of this. So I saved the best for last, no offense to anyone else, but I think everyone would agree that Larissa is awesome. She answered the question, do you ever imitate high pressured situations? And so we had put in our survey, like rain delays, a goal down, player down, et cetera, during practice time. Here was Larissa's response. She said, I call this the emergency action plan events. We need to be prepared for and practice so that when they do happen during a game, notice she said, do not if we don't lose focus and get caught off guard to simulate a rain delay. So again, she plays softball. Rain delays are common to simulate a rain delay. I will stop practice and just have the kids sit in the dugout for 10, 15 minutes and then resume practice and teach them to refocus and get their concentration back on track. Also at any point when we have an injury in practice, I will bring in the entire team and talk about how injuries happen when you are as competitive and play as hard as we do that we feel for the person that is injured, but trust that they are in good hands and will be taken care of that. We need to refocus and concentrate on what our mission is. And then finally, she ends with another activity I do is regarding broken equipment, broken shoelaces, broken gloves, have someone else's gloves. She says uncomfortably uniforms. She said they do have to wear their practice gear backwards. <laughs> uh, anything to try to distract them. So it teaches them how to maintain focus when you're not comfortable. <laughs> Wearing your practice gear backwards, I think is the, the greatest thing ever. I didn't know that. That was one of the things I've talked pretty extensively with Larissa, both on the podcast and offline. We've had numerous conversations. I've never heard that before. So I laughed out loud when I heard that. And I'm definitely going to recommend that to coaches in the future. Cause I think it's just hilarious. <laughs> the biggest takeaway for me though, Natalie is the injury portion. Um, I've talked about on the podcast before, so I won't reiterate the rain delay simulation. I thought that was pretty genius too, but the injury, I think factor is something that every sport can relate to. And that's what separates sports. I think in general, from most everything else that we do is the physical aspect of it. And it's really heartbreaking when a key member of your team or not, you know, just some, somebody that you love, somebody that you've gone through a lot of trials and tribulations with and built friendships and relationships with. It's so difficult to see them get injured, especially in the middle of a game, maybe in the middle of a pressured situation in a big game. And I think about this all the time, especially in football, where you have some like really gruesome, scary, you know, life-threatening injuries. And you see all the players kneeling and they're crying. And then 10 minutes later, you know, they're crushing each other again <laughs> on the field and the mental fortitude to push through that. And like 
Larissa had said here to regain the focus, not to lose track and not to lose sight of what they had worked for, because that that's the, that's the heart stopper, right? Is you have all this momentum. The mental part is there. The skill part is there. The physical part is there. And then boom, somebody goes down from the physical standpoint. And that can be often harder to replace than anything else. It can be somebody that's taken away from the locker room and the culture. It's a body taken off the field that's producing. And when it happens in the middle of a game, it can, I think, be even harder to get that focus back. And so I thought that was a really good thing for people to consider, you know, maybe trying to replicate on their own and simulate on their own is to say injuries are a part of the game. We know this. So let's make sure it doesn't distract us or deter us or, um, you know, really break us down when it happens. Cause it will happen over the course of a season. Yeah. And I've never really thought about injuries in this way until reading this and they are really hard. I think more than anything, they're emotionally draining. Like you're putting all this effort out onto the field. You have that heartbreaking moment and then you're expected to garner all your strength and put it all back on the field again. And it's even, I think could be even more heartbreaking. We've had a lot of injuries happen during practice and it's because someone hits a ball and it hits another teammate. And then that person is all thrown off for the rest of practice because they feel such guilt and such sadness that they not caused that injury, but they were involved and it's a sport. It's going to happen. Indirectly. Exactly. And it's hard to bounce back from, I've been in that situation where I've injured someone and I, the rest of practice just could not get out of my head. I was like, I feel so terrible. I'm heartbroken. That's like one of my best friends who I just hurt. And at the end of the day, it's a sport. And she's exactly right. When you're as competitive as you are and playing as hard as you do, it's just natural and it's going to happen. But being able to refocus and kind of put everything into perspective is huge in those moments when it does seem like the end of the world. And think about the player who gets injured and has to maybe come off the field. I mean, we're not always talking gruesome injuries. It can be, you know, pulled hamstring or, you know, whatever it is. They don't want you to feel bad. They want you to go out and compete. Right. And oftentimes I think it can be easier for the person who's like, okay, well I'm out of it. So I can be in that good frame because I know that I can't contribute on the field. So I'm going to do what I can. Like this happened to me in the, uh, it wasn't an injury, but it was because of an injury that sectional or that uh, regional game that I told you about my junior year, the shortstop got hurt starting shortstop. I wasn't starting, got hurt. I came in while he was getting stitched up. He got stitched up. I made a couple of plays. He came back in and because I didn't start the game, how the high school rules worked back then, I was completely out of the game. It was like the third, fourth inning of the game. I was done. I knew I was done. And so the only thing I could do to contribute was to to be a good team player and to cheer my team on and to pick up batting helmets for them, get their gloves ready and all those type of things. And so I've been in a situation very similar to, I think what, Larissa was was saying where you know from the the one individual I was able to do that but also what she's saying is like when there is a a bad injury or an injury to somebody who's a really key part to your team that can affect everybody and um 
you know, so it's, yeah, I think it's just a, a really genius reminder and all these responses. I mean, I was so pumped up to do this episode because I knew the responses that we had gotten already. And I'm going to remind people if you want the full responses from every single coach, there's the shareable link in the show notes right now. I've already created this Google Doc. I have a reminder to put it in as I'm editing everything. So don't worry, I won't forget. You can get all five questions from all six coaches, all that information right in a Google Doc and use it for your, whether you're an athlete, coach, different profession, I'm sure there's something you can learn. So I just wanted to take a moment, say thank you to all of those coaches again for providing their time and their expertise. And, um, you know, hopefully the listeners were able to get some really valuable things out of this. Cause I, I think it was super valuable, but what do you want to end with here, Natalie? What, what are you thinking? I'm thinking we kind of close it off with our determinant of what we think coaches play a role in pressure. Sorry, I phrased that poorly, but <laughs> how, how we think coaches should play a role in pressure situations. And I'm going to close by saying, I think it is completely necessary. I don't only think it's necessary, but I think if you want your team and your athletes to be the best that they can be, if you're not putting your athletes consistently under pressure, you're putting that them at a disadvantage for when it does come time for competition and later on in life. I think my coach always says, I want you guys to be great athletes, but above all, I want you to be great human beings and pressure is just as important for being a great athlete and a great human. So I think it's completely necessary. And I encourage all coaches to find a way to do it that is effective and helpful and one where you are using it at appropriate times and you're finding that healthy balance. (laughs) (laughs) I was literally just going to reiterate that I am a hundred percent in agreement with you. And I was just going to say, remember Roach's advice, small doses at appropriate times, go check out the show notes, go check out all of these answers and responses from the coaches. Listen to this episode again, take a lot of notes. We are back with another episode very soon here. But on behalf of Natalie, I am Colin and we'll see you next time.